Hello, everyone, and welcome to ISACA Live. I'm Paul Phillips, the Director of Event Content Development, and I'm here today with one of our ISACA Conference Europe speakers, Richard Hollis. Welcome, Richard. We've all... Hi, Paul. Welcome. We've all seen a chain, uh, a, a series of issues uh, regarding supply chain in the news. It, it has actually dominated the headlines over the past two years. And for good reasons, there's a lot going on uh, across the globe. Uh, today, we'll talk about some of the top risks and how to mitigate them and some ways to uh, best manage contracts as it relates to supply chain. And we'll share some findings from ISACA's recent global supply chain research. So before we get started, uh, Richard, why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you, Paul. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Richard Hollis. I am uh, I'm an information security, governance, risk, and compliance professional for some 30 odd years, which explains the, the white hair. I'm an ASACA member for well over 25 years. I'm a CISM, I'm a C-RISC, I'm a, I'm a Taurus for what it's worth, uh, um, uh, but I'm also a director of, an, of a risk management consultancy based in London. Uh, I'm going to be giving a workshop at the ISACA Europe conference uh, this October in Rome entitled The Essentials of uh, Cyber Supply Chain Management. We're going to go through what is the strategy, what tools do you need, how to customize it, and how to put it together. It's an all-day workshop. Really looking forward to it, but the whole point is to come away with a process. Uh, not a product uh, that can help us identify, minimize, and manage the risks in our supply chain. And I'm coming to you from France. I'm in the southwest of France, uh, and uh, I actually work in London. So uh, many days I wake up and don't know where I am. So if I seem a little groggy, uh, that's not an excuse. That's just my, my default status. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you, Richard. And yes, you've been around for a long time and done several workshops and sessions for us. So uh, we're looking forward to this conversation and then that's exactly what it is it is a conversation i say that because i see someone in the chat asking for materials and it's actually no materials because this is a conversation so if you want to get access to the materials you have to register for the upcoming workshop that richard mentioned so let's just dive into it so according to uh, a global study conducted by isaka this year only 44% of respondents said they had high confidence in the security of their organization's supply chain. In today's environment, what do you think some of the top cyber risks are associated with the global supply chain, Richard? Well, first of all, only 44% of respondents said that they had high confidence. Uh, frankly, Paul, I'm surprised it's that high. Yeah. Uh, and good for them if they if 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 that's the way they actually feel. Uh, my experience is something completely different. The majority of organizations that I work uh, with uh, have ex been extremely slow uh, in understanding, much less addressing the the risks in their the cyber risks in their supply chain. I, I, don't, I don't know, Paul, I, I think there's a general failure to recognize that supplier connectivity, all right, all connectivity, all connectivity, uh, is, it presents a risk to our systems. And so uh, uh, they I, I feel that in general, we as an industry have failed to recognize that supplier connectivity to our systems and product connectivity to our systems 
all right, clearly presents some risks. Now, you know, for me, the big wake up call was, uh, of course, the Target hack. Uh, how could you not look at Target and see a, an HVAC service supplier that was used, that platform was used to get access to the front tills to steal some 130 million credit cards. I mean, that, that, that was a seminal hack that, yeah. and that clearly showed our reliance and, and, and the risks associated with our suppliers. And of course, you know, the, the, the second one that should have been a big uh, clarion call for all of us was the solar winds hack, where there's a, you know, we are heavily reliant on a product in fact has a backdoor because, it's, uh, because of its connectivity. All right. That's so 44 percent of respondents said that they have high confidence. And that to me, that that represents a general understanding that all connectivity that they are they are convinced that all connectivity throughout their supply chain has been addressed. I I just don't see that for me. You know, when you think of the simple equation that any supplier or vendor system connected to our systems is a risk. Yeah. And then take that to the second degree and say that and, and understand that any system connected to that supplier system connected to our system is a risk and any system connected to that system connected to that system connected to that system connected to our supplier systems connected to our system is a risk i mean it's the it's that i, I and to for anyone to feel 44 percent confident that they've got a handle on that kind of risk you know and all the all the the, the sub uh, sub risks associated with all the connectivity associated with our suppliers connectivity for for me that's a that's a big statement yeah the best um, the best uh, Paul you know for me I keep thinking of the rock climber analogy mm-hmm. you know how rock climbers rope themselves together when they're climbing well that's for safety but there's also a huge risk one guy goes down and he can bring down the whole slit everybody comes down because they're all roped together. And certainly hacking works that way. And certainly in my mind, this, our supply chain works that way. All right. Anybody connected to anybody connected to anybody can provide an attack vector to our systems. And that's what I feel in general, we're not coming to terms with. And that is the, the problem. So anyway, to hear that 44% of respondents uh, feel that feel good about that, <laughs> that surprises me. Um, the other part of that question was the biggest risks. Um you know, certainly we read about ransomware and, but for me, there's only one risk and that's the risk of unauthorized access that, that somebody gets unauthorized access through our supply chain to our systems. And then of course that can result in a disruption of systems or uh, data theft, data fraud, you know, a variety of things, but it all boils down. When I, when I talk to a client, when I talk to anybody, I try to get them to focus in, wait, it's about all about unauthorized access that would allow whether it's ransomware or whatever the attack is uh, to uh, to be uh, inserted into our supply chain and cause a disruption, causes pain and discomfort. So I think if we all focus on unauthorized access as the only risk we should be considering in our supply chains, that that just helps clarify the mind and and of course what's at stake for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Richard, after that response that you just given, I think that 44% just immediately went down uh, dramatically. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, yeah. we, you and I know that as organizations that uh, we are responsible for the confidentiality, the integrity, and the availability of the information and the systems. And the buck stops with the organization. So, what are some yeah. steps organizations can take now? to identify ways to minimize uh, those risks that you just kind of mentioned and and how to manage the threats 
associated with the supply chain? What are some of the things that they can do? Well, there's a lot they can do, but for me, the most, the first step, the baby step is the most important. And that's, what is a supplier? Hmm. And, and I, and I think, I, I think by defining a supplier, we start to define the problem. All right. And, and, and I understand, I, everybody thinks they have an, a, a definition of a supplier, but, but I, I always advocate starting with a simple definition, define a supplier in the chain. Okay. Is that a, because this could be a partner company, it could be a subsidiary company, it could be a, it, it, it certainly could be a, 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 a legal entity that's supplying services, but it could also be a consultant. It could be a managed service provider. It could be a product vendor with connectivity. All right, what is a supplier? I think for all of us as cyber uh, security risk management professionals, the place to start is to sit down with procurement and come up with a mutual definition of this is a supplier in our supply chain. Because this is where I have seen people, where I have seen organizations address supply chains. They're 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 doing it with one definition, and their procurement department is operating on another definition. Mm. And that definition could be the length of the contract. Or we don't term anybody with less than a a, a one year, a twelve month contract as a supplier. I've seen organizations, and so everybody with connectivity that has a contract for to provide a service or a product, and it's less than a year, they don't register as a supplier you see so so i the first step for me is what's the supplier and for your risk professional and your procurement department to agree on that and stick to that all right once you've got that everything's for me starts to make sense in terms of once you have a definition then you can identify who's a supplier to that organization according to this definition these are the suppliers to this organization these are the service suppliers with connectivity these are the product suppliers with connectivity or, um, and, 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 but starting right there. And that, that to me means that you've got a register of all, you've got a, a list, you've got a register of all the known knowns. All right. You've, you've mapped out your real estate about, uh, you've mapped out your supply chain and who it consists of, uh, and, and what their relationship is, their specific relationship to your, your, your systems. Okay. Now once, sorry, Paul, did you have a, no, no, go ahead. This is I, interesting. I'm listening. Okay. So, so definition first, list second. Now that you've got a list, you need to triage that list in terms of you need to look at it because not all suppliers are the same. And this, and you can't treat all suppliers are the same. You've got web developing suppliers. You've got Microsoft 365. I mean, there's no, you know, they, they pose completely different risks. Mm-hmm. So now you need to come up with a classification scheme to look at your supply chain and understand based on the, the you know, based on things like volume, the sensitivity that they process, store, transmit on your behalf, or connectivity to your systems, or any compliance requirements that you have. All right, so you need a classification scheme to apply to your supply chain that's, that separates your suppliers in terms of their potential risk based on how much data they process, store, or transmit on your behalf, and how sensitive that data is to you. Let me give you an example. So say you have a, you've got a supplier that processes, that's connected to your systems, or, or you've outsourced their processing, storing, and transmitted, transmitting 500 uh, personal sensitive uh, uh, records, all right? So you could call that low. But then you've got another supply group of suppliers who process, store, and transmit between 500 and 2,000 records of personal sensitive data or credit card data. You can call them medium. And then you've got another group of suppliers who process more than 2,000 records. And you could call them high. 
The point is the scheme structure doesn't matter. What matters is that you've aligned that to your general risk appetite and you understand based on the impact of a breach of that supplier or that connection to your systems, uh, what the potential impact would be. And it's within a classification scheme that you've identified. So now that's what confuses everybody that, that you apply the same risk appetite to your supply chain as you do to yourself. Because obviously you should have done this for your own organization. I understand, you know, uh, the potential to lose 500 records or 5,000 records mm -hmm. is the difference between a low threat and a high threat to us. And you would apply that same thinking to a, a classification scheme designed to identify who in your supply chain is the most possessed, possessed the biggest risk to you in terms of, of, of losing your data or impacting your systems. Okay, now now you've got you've got them you've got your list of suppliers and you've got them triage between low, medium, or high in terms of their potential because of what they process, what they store, what they deliver for you. Um, and now which it's as easy to aligning a, a risk management framework to each classification level. To low level suppliers, you can put, say, okay, why don't you start out? I, I, you know, in terms of a, a, a risk management uh, uh, framework, I'd like you to meet or exceed cyber essentials. If you're a medium risk supplier, I want you to meet or exceed uh, a, a boiled down version of ISO 27001. Or of course, this is where compliance requirements come in and, and meet, uh, because you're processing credit card data on our behalf, I need you to meet the, or exceed the PCI DSS or, or data protection or GDPR requirements, et cetera. But essentially you just line up your control frameworks to your, your, your risk categories that your category, your suppliers who are categorized according to risk. And I see a minimum of three for me. Low, medium, or high should have its each control, its each separate control frameworks. And of course, the, the, the higher the risk, the more restrictive the control framework that you're looking to apply to that specific um, supplier. Now, if that makes sense, if I didn't, if I if if you understood me with all the coffee I drank today, what I just described is is you know a list of all your suppliers and then triaging those into low, medium, high based on the classification scheme and then aligning a control framework conducive to that potential risk. And right there, you've done quite a bit of work because you're not try, you're not applying one bar to your whole chain. And, yeah. and you wouldn't. It's not cost effective and it's not applicable. Um, and therefore, you're and you're also prioritizing your workload. You're going to then start with your high risk suppliers. And, and bring them in order as quick as you can and then move your way through, you know, through down to you, through your medium, down to your low. And many organizations I know of don't even don't even manage their low uh, what they consider low risk suppliers. They don't have the resources. They don't have the time and their focus is where it should be on the high risk suppliers. But for me, those are the three steps that very quickly can provide clarity and prioritization of, of risks in a supply chain. You've got, a, you've got an aligned applicable risk framework to a supplier. You're ensuring the appropriate controls are applied. That supplier is uh, uh, um, implementing those controls based on what they process, store, or transmit on your behalf, and then you manage. Identify, minimize, manage. You, you said it, Paul. That's, that's, that's it in those three steps. So, so Job done. So here's what I think I heard, Richard. Define what a supplier is. Identify your suppliers classify your suppliers and then align them to the control environment i'm probably oversimplifying 
No, no, you're not. A lie, okay. uh, there's there's two points. First is don't underestimate how how important it is to to for definition because mm -hmm. that definition, believe it or not, is is not an easy thing to get. Now the second thing is yes that you you're, you're classifying them according to the potential impact on your organization if you had a breach. And I'm advocating you use the same risk appetite that you use for your own classification scheme. And then once you have that, you identify an applicable risk framework to that risk level. Gotcha. Uh, a, a smaller framework for low risk suppliers, a, a more stringent framework for high risk suppliers. And then suddenly it's square peg, square hole, and things start to fit. And you don't have, you're not spending a lot of time and effort, you know, trying to get low, you know, uh, a supplier who, who supplies you flowers, who's not connected to your systems, you know, to implement ISO 27001. Right. You're, you're, start, you're, you're starting to align things according to their risk requirements. So, so Richard, who should do that? Is that, is that a, should there be a supply chain management process in an organization? Is it the risk management process? Who's responsible for all of those steps? Well, for, for me, it depends on the size of the organization, obviously. But, but, you know, a risk officer is responsible for the strategy of that. Now, they, he or she can't and shouldn't do that alone. You can't do that. And that's where we make our mistake. We come down, we sit down in a room, and, and we write up our classification scheme. Uh, but our list of suppliers isn't, uh, we don't have a, an agreed definition for what is a supplier. We don't have a comprehensive list of those suppliers. We come up with a classification scheme and a control framework that just says everybody should be ISO uh, compliant to connect to our systems. And then nobody actually enforces it because it doesn't make sense. So it can't happen in a vacuum. A risk, uh, you, you need a strategy developed by, uh, by a risk professional, and you need it agreed and executed by a procurement professional. And everybody, all the stakeholders who have a piece of that, you know, legal, who, who make sure that the, uh, the service level agreements are, are you know, are, are written correctly and enforced, and there's contract law enforced for repercussions of noncompliance. So it doesn't happen in a vacuum, and this is our problem. We, you know, we, we write these things out, but we don't integrate them into the business processes. Uh, I'm reading comments from the chat and for guys to question in the chat. I'm thinking I won't get to all of them, but we will compile them between Richard and I, we can maybe respond to some of them. Uh, one isn't in the chat. Well, that just disappeared on me. Uh, it is, it's key to ensure, let's cut off here, that you embed these requirements upon signature of contract. So we're going to get into contract. That's a very good segue. Uh, so uh, according to, I'm going to throw another statistic to, at you, Richard. I saw the study also found that 84% of companies say there is not enough governance in place around their supply chains. So in my mind, part of that governance process should be contract. So let's talk about con the contract process for a second. Can you explain the importance of contract management, contract termination, uh, the decommissioning of uh, procedures and processes as it relates to supply chain? Yeah, I've, sure. It's again with the proviso, Paul. That you know, obviously, every organization has a different has, has a different contracting process. The key is for risk managers to integrate themselves into those processes so that they understand well before. See, see, I I heard that my my antenna went up because the time for under uh, for identifying 
identifying the security controls is not a time of contract. The mm. time is during contract negotiation to allow this supplier to understand, ask questions, what do I need to do? Why do I need to do that? And of course, cost for that. It's not just out of nowhere to, to hand the procurement department, oh, by the way, make sure that these suppliers meet or exceed ISO 27001 or NIST or this or that. All right. So it's well up ahead of time is to be included in contract negotiation where a risk manager can sit down and, and understand this is the amount of data. This is the sensitivity of that data that you are going to process on our behalf. Or this is the sensitivity of the connection of your connection to our systems. Uh, and the data that you can impact, the systems that you can impact or disrupt, and so and 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 explain what the, what the objective is of the controls that will be required for that relationship, and get the supplier to understand what the objective is of, of the controls, and not just give them a controls a contract, but discuss the purpose uh, and the outcome and and what what is good evidence that the controls are working, and of course talk about alternatives. You can't do this. You can't do Plan A. How about Plan B or Plan C or Plan and, uh, or plan whatever. And so the critical time to introduce the risk manager is well upstream of con as in contract uh, is the is the RFP process uh, is is a, a place where every supplier can question uh, uh, and 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 uh, and provide answers to uh, what the risk, uh, you know, the, the risk framework that's being applied to the supply chain. All right, that's that's first. First and foremost is is up, upstream. Now, now downstream, and you pick up a good point here that you know um, there is there's two or three things that jump out at me, um, and that's that, that's that's critical to get into there. You know, uh, is is get the control framework, and that needs to go into the service level agreement, be understood by both parties, be negotiated by both parties. Uh, if compensating controls or alternatives need to be worked out, that needs to be done well prior to contract signature and contract award. All right, but then but some of the th key things that that are missing, Paul, is you brought up um, uh, termination. Termination, contract termination is uh, end of decommissioning, end of life. All right, it's a two-year contract. The contract's over. What do we do? What are the security requirements for decommissioning that connection or, or, or that data? I cannot tell you how many people don't have a, de a decommissioning clause that require the return or, at a minimum, the destruction of that data and what sort of evidence is involved. Uh, for me, that's a that's a that's a clearly overlooked requirement in 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 our process in terms of of, of, of contracting. Uh, it, it's critical that we understand what happens at the end of the relationship. Do you go home? Do I go home? Do yeah. we forget about each other? Or or you know, are you going to give me my data back? Are you uh, uh, are you giving me all the backups of my data that you took? Do I get that back, or will I have you just destruct? destroy it. What happens to the connection, the VPN between your system and my system? Uh, is it just terminated at your end, at my end? Is it tested? Uh, um, there are so many questions. Um, and I was just thinking, um, it's funny. Uh, so I'm, I told you I'm a director of a security company, uh, my own, uh, our own risk consulting firm. We're ISO 27001. And one of the exercises that we did it is we looked at all of our contracts where we have ongoing connectivity to our clients. And of course, Paul, we do we do pen testing and things, so we have very sensitive and very uh, you know connections. And I think uh, if I'm remembering correctly, we had 74. We have 74 existing connections to clients. All right, and all 74 have security requirements in there, mm -hmm. but only four, only four had decommissioning at wow. the end of the contract. Risk crew, this is what we need you to do. Now, that's that's where. They've had the sophistication to understand and connect with the security 
property consulting firm and understand these are the security requirements for your connection to our systems and your access to our data. But when this when the contract is over, only four out of 74 had thought to say, oh, by the way, I need you to verify uh, that the connection is finished. I need you to sign an affidavit. I need to sign you, you to sign uh, an affidavit that you didn't copy or just or, 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 or make copies or alter or modify. That to me, that to me, in a nutshell, is is what we're up against, and that's a security company. So if we're not even asking our security companies about decommissioning process for you know for monitoring firewalls and things, what else are we missing? Yeah, yeah, very good. So we're we're limited on time. I want to get one throw one more question at you, Richard. Um, and for those of you that are in the chat, again, we didn't. I think we got to one of your questions. I'm going to ask the system administrator to compile those questions, and we're going to try to get them, uh, get some responses to you. Or you can come to the uh, workshop uh, in October. So one last one for you, Richard. More than half of our survey respondents said they expect supply chain issues to stay the same or worsen over the next six months. There's a lot going on in our world. You got the war in between Russia and Ukraine, we're still trying to emerge from this pandemic. Uh, so what is your outlook uh, and what needs to be done to increase confidence in supply chains going forward? I think you've kind of mentioned a lot of that already. I did. I, I don't want to be pessimistic, <laughs> but my outlook is not good, Paul. You know, <laughs> I, you know, when people ask me, is the glass half, glass half full? Is it half empty? I say the glass is, should, is just bigger than it should be. It should right. be a smaller glass. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I try to look for a reasonable answer, but honestly, um, I, I've been doing this for, for, for over 30 years now, and uh, things move slowly. But um, So I'm a bit pessimistic, Paul. I think every day we're finding more and more products with zero-day vulnerabilities that allow access not good, not good. What, tell, that, what that tells me that, you know, solar winds wasn't an anomaly. It was evidence of the norm. Yeah. All right. This is a result of we do not practice security by design. So the products that we, in, we deploy on our systems to protect our systems in many cases have back doors and holes in them. Okay. So that is now, oh, hey, everybody, you know, everybody seems to be uh, just find that out now. So so I don't see that that's going to change anytime soon. I'll say it again. Solar winds wasn't an anomaly. It was just evidence of the norm. Yeah. We do not practice security by design is not the norm. And so watch this space. And of course, cyber criminals now understood there's big cash to be made by ransomware and supply chains. Uh, uh, and that doesn't go away overnight. When there's money to be made, they'll, Money will be made until until somebody stops that that attack vector. And of course, as you brought up, nation states now understand the impact of of disrupting a supply chain, whether that's Russia, dis, you know, disrupting the Ukrainian supply chain. Uh, it, but we're seeing that everybody understands how fragile supply chains are: agricultural supply chains to power supply chains. Uh, and 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 when that when when people understand the potential. Uh, vulnerabilities associated with supply chain. It's just like, like moths to a candle. It attracts a lot of bad actors. Yeah. And finally, of course, you know, the growing risk of our, of the increased dependency of internet of things in our supply chains. 
Yeah. So it, I, yeah. you know, I get grumpy really fast and I, I just don't think things are going to be better anytime soon. Yeah. What we, what we need um, for me, just one word, accountability. Yeah. Accountability would change everything. Accountability, you know, w- w- accountability from our vendors. If we had a breach associated with Microsoft 365 and Microsoft 365 was re- accountable for that, change everything overnight. You know, it, to me, accountability is the silver bullet for cybersecurity and specifically in the supply chain, in our supply, you know, dealing with our supply chain uh, problem. It's one thing to get accountability through a service supplier who's supplying a service over a two-year, three, five-year contract mm-hmm. where you have a contract. It's another thing entirely to get it from a product vendor, yeah. from a firewall vendor, from an anti-malware vendor to, you know, to, who's giving us a product and we're depending on that product and we do not understand that that product allows unauthorized access or connectivity to a third party. And that's not an accountability that's easily obtained. Uh, so two different sides, uh, two different challenges there. Getting accountability from our suppliers, of course, that would just, and paying for it. Of course. But getting accountability from our vendor, our product vendors, like the solar winds of the world who, who, who lay us to risk. And that to me is a separate challenge uh, and that isn't solved overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Vendor, vendor accountability wouldn't just change the supply chain. It would change our whole industry. Change the whole industry. Wow. Wow. So much to be learned from that whole solar winds thing. So, Hey, I think we're going to have to leave it there. Richard, it is always a pleasure. I will see you in Rome, Italy uh, in October, and we're going to continue this discussion. Thank you for your time and thank you for your continued support of ISACA and everyone. Thank Thank you, you, Paul. Great. Thank everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, And if you have any questions, again, put them in the chat and we'll get back to you. And uh, we will conclude this discussion until next time. Everyone have a great day. Thank you.